Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Glorious Disruption is about when Jesus shows up and turns everyone's world upside down. We believe this study of God's Word is about to turn many people's lives completely around. It may be even upside down because that's what happens in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus comes to people who are absolutely stunned and amazed by Him, and they are profoundly and gloriously changed forever. Let's begin by praying that this happens here at Waterbrook and beyond for our joy and amazement in Jesus. Let's worship together. So I really want you to uh, focus in on Jesus in this text of scripture. That's what we're meant to do. He stands as a striking, uh, distinguishing feature, figure in the middle of all of this text. It's an awful text and there's awful misery. And, um, you know, it again reminds me of Memorial Day and um, just what we remember. I do want to, again, thank you. I want to thank uh, Casey and, and Tom and Mike, and Tara, and others who I know who have served. And some of you have seen things you can't unsee. And I um, pray that God gives you grace, and I thank you for serving. Um, I had a friend uh, whose wife died about a decade ago uh, in... Um, Memphis, Tennessee, and Marianne and I headed down there to do the funeral service, and um, uh, her name was Linda. She died of cancer, and she was often asking us to pray for her son who was serving in the U.S. military. He was in, in, a me- in the medical service, and he was an anesthetist, and one of the things that he was responsible for doing was going on Black Hawk helicopters into danger zones uh, because they had begun to try to save uh, guys who had, were, would potentially lose their lives or lose a limb by getting medical treatment more quickly uh, on site. And this was about the time when ISIS was all over the news. And so um, on the day of her funeral, Kevin was in the Middle East and he had flown back. He just got back in time for the funeral. So I remember his presence at the funeral. And I was wondering, what's it like for this young man to have been away while his mom was sick, you know, keeping in touch, but coming back and attending her funeral, and because they were kind of in the heat of activity when the funeral was over later that day, he got back on a plane and flew back to the Middle East. And it had the effect for me every time I saw a news story about ISIS or every time I saw something going on in Syria, I I was thinking, I wonder what he's up to. I wonder what he's doing. And, you know, there are striking moments where the the you know that there is an example somebody living somebody doing something sacrificially for our freedom so the kind of evil and corruption that's going on over there doesn't spread globally and so you get that 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 contrast between brutal evil and wickedness and and dignity and sacrifice on this part and i i really think that's the way that you and i are meant to see this text it's humanity at its ugliest moment. And we're not supposed to look at it in, in horror and, and recoil in the sense that how could they, but we're actually to look at it and go, that's us. That's what we're capable of doing. It's what we would do if we're in their place. And while we're doing that and watching it, we're meant to look at Jesus and go, thank God Jesus went to the cross. That the picture that Luke wants us to have is of a king who is actually intentionally pressing on. The one who's in control in this passage that looks out of control is Jesus. 
Every comment he makes, and he makes four statements in this passage, you and I just need to let our ears perk up and look at Jesus and realize that he is not being a victim of violence. He is laying down his life for the sheep. He is the king who is serving and sacrificing on our behalf. He is intentionally going to the cross. And the reason why we need to see this is so that we might be reminded that when we are like the people in this passage, at our worst moments, Jesus will receive us. You got that? We are meant to look at this scene and realize that Jesus is going to the cross because Jesus has come to save sinners like you and me. Uh, Jesus loves us and comes to us when we are at our worst. Tom Schreiner says this, we should never say that our evil is so great that we could never turn to God. You got that? We should never say that our evil is so great that we could not turn to God because we're going to see great evil here and Jesus is coming for us and speaks to us in the middle of this. Listen to Jerry Bridges. Your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. You hear that today? Your worst days are not greater than his grace. And you're never outside of the need of his grace on your best day. Let me give you another quote from Scotty Smith. He said, God's grace is stronger than our worst sins. And his blood is deeper than our lowest days. This does not make us stop pursuing holiness. It makes us pursue it all the more. We hate the sin he died for and love to see his beauty, his righteousness, and his glory increasingly reflected in our lives. We do not celebrate or settle for failure, but we do rejoice in a love that is stronger than our worst days. His mercy is more. Do you hear me? This day on Memorial Day weekend, I want you to walk out in freedom and that's why we need to study this text of scripture to look at the nature of our king this is our king marching in victory you know people look at jesus and say man he's going towards calamity jesus is intentionally taking down sin and death conquering evil and he knows where he is headed and he's deliberately doing it for you and deliberately doing it for me and that should comfort us today. So here's the first thing I want us to see in this text. The king is compassionate. The compassionate king. It's an interesting thing, but not insignificant in Luke's gospel how women figure into the text. And in uh, this passage of scripture, we're told in verse 26, And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and they laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And so you and I need to realize that as Jesus is going to the cross, he's already suffered great indignity. He's already been mocked and ridiculed. He's already been flogged and whipped. And so as he's traveling in towards the cross, weakened already by the assault and the ignominy that has come against him, as he's doing that, they, they put Simon the Cyrene in to carry the cross for him as he goes. But it says that as he moves along, 
there begins a multitude of people around and they focus in on the women. Luke writes, and there followed him a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. They'll begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? David Garland says, Luke never records an instant of a woman being hostile to Jesus. He never does. He singles out the mourning Uh, And he singles out the mourning women amidst the crowd of onlookers. Like Peter who wept after his denial of Jesus, they weep bitterly over about what is to happen to Jesus. And so Jesus is moving along and the women are weeping. Watching the injustice that's unfolded. And you've got to put yourself contextually in Luke's gospel that every time Jesus encounters women, it's almost a woman who has been violated in some way um, by demonic oppression or who has been treated unjustly by the religious establishment, or, or has suffered uh, disease, or grief, or mourning. There are always women suffering under the curse and under the injustice. And you can imagine for them, they look at Jesus, and here's the one who has heard him, heard them. Here's the one who has embraced them. Here's the one who has not treated them like their, their trials and their difficulties make them an outcast and a nobody in the culture. He sees them brings them, hears them, heals them, and now he's being crucified. You and I need to think about this because in my pastoral ministry, I'm not sure I have a week in pastoral ministry where I don't encounter or come alongside a woman who has been violated or been abused or treated unjustly. And the ache and the trauma and the heartache from the past carried in the heart to to have somebody like Jesus who doesn't dismiss them, but hears them. And as they're walking along, they look to Jesus and they see him going down and think, this is the one. Nobody like him. Nobody's heard us, touched us, healed us, seen us like Jesus. And Jesus sees them. This is amazing. You remember, He's so weakened by his suffering. He's so uh, injured by what is going on that he's not carrying his cross anymore. But as he's walking along, he sees the women. And he sees them lamenting. And he speaks to them and he says, don't lament for me. Don't lament for me. I lament for you. Because what's about to happen to Israel is devastating. In 70 A.D., Romans will come in and they'll be cruel. They'll crush you. And like often happens in war, it's the women and the children who suffer the most. And that's been the echo 
That's been the grief of Jesus when he's wept over Jerusalem. Listen to a few of the texts from the Gospel of Luke. Luke 13, 34 to 35. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered you, your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken and I will tell you, you will not see me until blessed is he, until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus is this kind of a double-edged sword there on one end he goes i just wanted to protect you from what is coming your children wanted to gather you like a mother hen gathers and you would not you won't see it until a new day comes and that kingdom is established and there'll be no more injustice and no more violation and no more in indignities women do you hear that there is a day coming when it will never happen again never be said again never be experienced again do you hear this that's what jesus is saying don't weep for me and he marches intentionally to the cross listen to luke 19 41 and when he drew near to the city he wept over it would that you even you had known on the day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. Do you hear Jesus? They will not leave one stone upon you because you did not know the time of your visitation. You didn't know I was coming. Now, here's what we're supposed to see. Jesus is not heartless to their cries. You imagine these women, they're going, why, why don't you stay? Why don't you help us? Don't abandon us. Don't leave us. And Jesus is saying, I'm doing the one thing that will make sure that this comes to an end once and for all. I will go and die so that sin and injustice will be dealt with once and for all. This is beautiful. It's painfully beautiful. I would say that for many times, one of the things that we struggle with is, Jesus, why didn't you stop it? It's a big counseling question. Jesus, you were there. Why didn't you interrupt it? And Jesus' answer is, I came to deal a death blow to injustice and evil at the cross so that a day would come when there would be no more. And the only thing that can end evil is a crucifixion, a substitution, the death of a righteous one for the unrighteous. Aren't you glad he kept going? To rescue us from our sins. And so, on the one hand, that's why we need to hear that Tom Schreiner's line where he says, Jesus will receive us in our worst moments. Sometimes our worst moments for us have been, I just feel abandoned by you, Lord. Why didn't you stop it? Why didn't you hear me? Why didn't you answer? Why didn't you respond? And we become bitter and alienated from the Lord. And Jesus comes back and says, I will never let you go. I'll never leave you here. And I will come back and make it all new. And some of you need that freedom today. The freedom of Injuries that are hard to even articulate. But the reality that Christ will make it new.
and dealt with it at its core. I hope you have that f- freedom today. Second thing is not only is the, he the most compassionate king, but he's an incredibly forgiving king. So as he comes to the place of the cross, watch how he is treated. In verse 32 it says, Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him, and when they came to the place that is called the skull, Golgotha, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And you and I are meant to see here that Jesus is being placed in a position of great humiliation. That's what Luke is writing here. Here's the Son of God hanging like a criminal in a place and in the, in the worst kind of death because the death itself was designed in order to bring humiliation in such a way that anyone watching it would never cross the Roman government, would never cross the Jewish leaders again. Listen to this uh, Roman description of why they did crucifixion. It says, whenever we crucify the condemned, the most crowded roads are chosen where the most people can see and be moved by this terror. For the penalties relate not so much to retribution as their exemplary effect. In other words, we want as many people to see this person die this way, not because it's a just sentence, on that half, but so that they will never mess with us again. Put the fear of Rome in them. Put the fear of Israel in them when they're coming together on this. That's why we do it. Jesus is hung in a public place where as many people as possible could see his suffering and he is hung like a criminal so they would get a message, no more of these kind of religious zealots coming up in this way. But you and I need to realize that even as that is happening towards Jesus, Jesus is not being shamed in that sense as much as he is suffering in our place at the hands of God. He's going there to suffer as God's just sacrifice for sins. He hangs there as a criminal. Uh, Notice what happens at uh, at the foot of the cross. It says in verse 34, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do and they cast as and they cast lots to divide his garments. So he is hung naked in front of the people and as he's dying, he looks down and, and the soldiers below him have no care about his misery and his suffering. They just care about themselves. This has got to be one of the most cruel And hard-hearted activities. Here is a just man dying the worst. And you're down there saying, what do you, you?" he's alive still. I mean, we get little pictures of it when somebody's dying and their family's emptying the house. Right? You look at that and go, that's something fundamentally wrong here. And, and what's going on here is Jesus is dying and they're taking the last of what he has and, they're, and they're, they have no care or no, no concern. They're just fully self-interested, greedy, worldly in this moment. Jesus is not only being publicly humiliated and hung in nakedness, but he's being mocked. Look at the next verse. It says in verse 30. 
5, and the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. So the religious leaders are mocking him. Are you the Christ? Really? Are you the Christ? Then save yourself. And you get this idea, if he was really the Messiah, if he was really God's chosen one, he would have authority and power to come down off that cross and save himself. They don't understand the Christ and why he'd come. Not only did the religious leaders do that, but the soldiers did it. Verse 36, the soldiers mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And this sour wine they were given to Jesus was given to him to alert his senses. Most commentators would agree that by giving him this wine, they actually lengthen his um, alertness to his suffering. In other words, they intensify his conscious torment. And there's a sign over him. Behold the king of the Jews. It is a sham. It's a mockery. It's a ridicule. It's shame. And you and I need to stop here and say, and what does Jesus say in the middle of it? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Who is this king? He could have called 10,000 angels. He could have pulled the life out of him. The Bible says that he upholds all things by the word of his mouth. Do you realize that as they're scoffing at him, the very life breath that gives them the ability to scoff is sustained by Jesus himself? Do you realize that as they're gambling in front of him and taking his garments between them, as they're gambling over that, that Jesus is giving them the heartbeat to mock him and scorn him and ignore him? And yet he says what? Father, forgive them. For they know not what they're doing. Who does know what he's doing? Jesus. He knows what he's doing. He's being intentional here. You know, when I, when I was looking at this text, I thought, you know, the thing that struck me was the, uh, you know, and there, there's a lot in this text you could spend a lot of time on, but what hit me was them gambling for his garments. And I thought, here they have the Christ being crucified in front of them, and they can only think about clothing and money. And, and you stop and you go, how many times have we heard of the cross? And a minute later, we're thinking about money and possessions, how we're going to clothe ourselves and where we're going to live. And, you know, we look at this text and say, how could they possibly be doing this? You and I do it all the time. We hear the glory of the gospel. We see the Son of God suffering and our mind goes off to some trivial thing we're going to do on Memorial Day weekend. Right? I'm not saying that in a condemning way. I'm saying thank God Jesus is a forgiving Savior. Thank God. Jesus looks at them and he looks at us and says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jeremy, you know, they're saying that if he was the king, if he was the Christ, he would come down off the cross. Jeremy Treat says this, Jesus reveals his kingship not by coming down from the cross to save himself, but by staying on the cross to save others. Jesus reigns by saving, and he saves by giving his life. That's our king. That's our king. Aren't you glad that's why Jesus is? No king like our king. 
Thirdly, he's a gracious king. And what I mean by that in the text of Scripture is that little scene with the thief on the cross, the criminal on the cross. There's an argument that breaks out on the cross. Can you believe it? They're arguing on the cross against Jesus. That's how bad we are, friends. Verse 39, one of the criminals who was hanged railed at Jesus saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. You are the Christ. Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we're receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, the man said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you came into your, come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Are that, those not amazing words? Today you will be with me in paradise. So you have these two criminals, and the one criminal is looking at Jesus and going, if you're the Christ, save yourself and save us. And, and what's he thinking about? He's thinking, if God was for me, he would save my life as it is. He would take me back. He would get us off here and get us back into our life. That's all I want. I want yesteryear. I want yesterday. I want everything. The other one goes, are you crazy? Do you not understand who this is? This man is not a guilty man. He's not like you and me. And he, he confesses. He's done nothing wrong. And, and here we have vindication at this point in time coming from a criminal. By faith. I was thinking about this text going, we do this. We do this when we say, Jesus, if you were really for me, you'd give me the life I had back. We have this idealized view of yesteryear. Can I, can I tell you something? You've never lived in the ideal world. That is yet to come. Today you will be with me Where? In paradise. Can you imagine the difference that day was for that criminal? Speaking to Jesus, it was the worst day and it was the best day of his life. Today you will be with me in paradise. It's interesting that in Luke's gospel, Luke is the only one of the gospel writers that begins the gospel with a genealogy starting with Adam. All the other writers start somewhere else, but he starts with Adam. Why? Because in Adam, that's where it all went wrong. And now in the new Adam, there's a new entrance into paradise. When Adam got kicked out of the Garden of Eden, there was an angel posted at the garden with a flaming sword that you could not come back into the garden. In this place, at the cross of Christ, there's a sword that's pulled out and pierced into him. And when that sword is pierced into Jesus, the veil of the temple is torn in two and access to God has come and a new day is dawned. New access. Paradise is opened back up. Isn't that glorious? Oh, Jesus did not come to give you your life back as it once was, but to lead you into a life you've never, ever seen. Remember the simple quote describing Tim Keller after he died, where Keller said this to his family and to others. He said, death can only make me better. The best is yet to come can I ask you this question and some of you may be struggling with this are you angry with Jesus because he hasn't given you your old life back he's got something better for you friends 
He didn't come to take you back. He came to take you ahead. He didn't come to place you in some point in time in a fallen world where there was still injustice all over the world and sin in your own heart. He came to make a new day, a, a new reality where sin is gone. We, we just studied this on Wednesday night on Wednesday Night Focus. We were studying Revelation chapter 21 where Christ comes and it says, and he will wipe away every tear from your eyes and there will be no more sorrow and no more sickness and no more death. There's a new day a glorious new day that's our hope friends as christians that's that's what we celebrate on the, our memorial day in the sense we celebrate the one who is innocent who gave up his life for us so that we would live in freedom from it all from it all and finally i just want you to see the willing king and if you doubt at all that Jesus came for this, if you doubt at all that Jesus would do for this, you need to read this next text because it said it was, in verse 44, it was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And this temple curtain would not just get torn in two. It is a miraculous sign of God where all of a sudden in the death and the sacrifice of Jesus, that which separated the priests and the people of Israel down through history was taken apart. They could not come into the temple, into the Holy of Holies. Once a year the priest could. They would tie a rope around him and put bells on the bottom of his robe in case he did something he shouldn't and dropped dead. They'd have to pull him out. They could not go there. But suddenly, Jesus in his crucifixion does something that changes everything. He takes away what separates man from God and opens up through his sacrifice, pays the penalty for all our sins, makes us righteous to come into the presence of God. Listen to what it says here. Then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said what? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He's quoting from Psalm 31.5, which prophesies this very day. Jesus, Jesus doesn't die because of events that were happening to him. At this moment in time, Jesus gives up his life. Jesus said it in John chapter 10, verse 18. No one takes it from me I lay uh, my life down of my own accord I have the authority to lay it down I have the authority to take it up again this charge I received from my father do you understand that before the beginning of time God decided to save us from our sins and he said there must be a sacrifice a substitute and the son said I'll go and the father says now you have the authority to die that's the kind of king you'll be. And you have the authority to take your life back up again. And Jesus on the cross, not because of what everybody else is doing, but because he had the authority, said, now I commit my spirit to you, God. And he gives up his life. He did that for you. He did that for you. He freely gave up his life. Now I want you to see that right after this, it says in verse 47, now when the centurion saw what had taken place, what did he do? He praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. So at the 
at the foot of the cross, at Jesus' death, there's a centurion, and a centurion is an army officer, has, has a, a, a hundred soldiers under him. He's responsible. This is the guy responsible for the execution of Jesus. And to be a centurion, you would experience a lot. He had a lot of military history. He would have had a lot of, um, of uh, responsibilities under the Roman rule. He had seen a lot of corruption. But he is responsible for the execution of Jesus. And when he sees Jesus die, he sees that Jesus died at his own will. It stuns him. And then the one who is responsible for the execution of Jesus declares this. Surely this man was innocent. Now what's interesting about this is the word for innocent is in the Greek is dikaios. And in Greek, dikaiosune is the word righteousness. He's not just saying Jesus is innocent. He's saying he's righteous. God takes the one who is responsible for the death of Jesus and from his lips says, this is a righteous man. Jesus is not guilty. He died as a righteous one for the unrighteous. Over and over the Bible comes back and makes a big deal about the fact that Jesus who died was righteous, not guilty. Was free of it. For, for example, John will write in 1 John chapter 2, I write these things so that you do not sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who is the propitiation for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Jesus, the righteous one, dies to take the wrath of God so that we might walk away righteous. Listen to Jeremy Treat again. The cross is neither the failure of Jesus' messianic ministry nor simply the prelude to his royal glory. It's the apex of his kingdom mission. In other words, if you're in the military, this is mission, mission accomplished. It's the apex of the throne from which he rules and establishes his kingdom. The moment he gives up his spirit, sin is conquered. The moment he gives up his spirit and dies, death has been defeated. The moment that he goes to the cross and dies the humiliation, paradise is opened. It's over. He's won it. He's the king on the cross. Is that not good news? Maybe the thing that holds you down is a sense that you are a sinner. And how could God love someone how could Christ receive someone when you have done what you've done thought what you thought persisted in what you persisted the answer is not in the mirror the answer is on the cross the answer isn't in your merit what you have finished and what you've accomplished but in his merit what he's done and what he's accomplished my dear friends I can tell you this if you're in Christ you're free he died to set you free and anyone he sets free is free forever. Free at last. Free at last. My desire on Memorial Day is that not only will we celebrate the freedoms that are ours in this country, but the freedom that we have to enter a new country where sin and sickness and death will reign no more. Are you not looking forward to that day? Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for such a Savior, for his beauty, for his glory, against the backdrop of evil, of, of betrayal, of humiliation, of scorn, of ridicule. He was faithful to his calling to the very end. He loved us to the uttermost, the laying down of his life. So I pray, dear God, set your people free. Free from sorrow, free from sin, free from death. Give us joy. Thank you, Father, for Jesus, the King. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were able to seek, savor, and share the all-surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to find out more about our church, submit a prayer request, watch previous sermons, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed week.